Welcome to another episode of Karis on Crime. I'm your host, Beth Karras. Karis on Crime explores criminal justice issues and cases in the news. And as always, I welcome your feedback, your questions and ideas. You can post them in the forum on Karis on Crime or on social media. My Twitter handle is at Beth Karras and my Facebook page is my name, Beth Karras. Today, I'm looking forward to talking to author and journalist John Furick. John is currently writing for USA Today, Wisconsin, and knows as much or more than most about the Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey cases. Those are the cases, of course, made famous by the Netflix series Making a Murderer. But John is also quite a writer. He has authored four books, and I've read one of them so far. I intend to get through another one soon. I've read Failure of Justice, A Brutal Murder, An Obsessed Cop, Six Wrongful Convictions. That book is about a Nebraska murder for which six innocent people were charged and convicted. Now, John also wrote Body of Proof, Tainted Evidence in the Murder of Jessica O'Grady, Dixie's Last Stand, Was It Murder or Self-Defense, and Bloody Lies, A CSI Scandal in the Heartland. So welcome, John. Thanks for having me on, Beth. So you select topics where... I don't know, or the majority of the topics for your books have to do with, you know, shaky evidence of guilt or maybe no evidence of guilt. So is there a theme here now that you're writing a lot about Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey? It, it seems that it's uh, turned out that way. And uh, and uh, like I said, my first book, uh, Bloody Lies, was, was about a wrongful, almost a wrongful conviction case uh, where two innocent Nebraska men were arrested and spent many, many months in um in jail on the verge of going to trial before that case uh um forensic science um in an amazing fashion ultimately led to the real killers uh uh a pair of Wisconsin teenagers driving across the country and then that led to uh the downfall of a major CSI uh, um stalwart in Nebraska Dave Colford uh, who it turned out had been planting blood evidence um in that murder case and then also other murder cases as well and uh and Mr. Colford uh, uh ultimately went to prison for uh, for his crime so it was a major major uh, ordeal and uh, as you know as as you point out making a murder was just a huge uh, um, um a huge splash across the country and uh, and even overseas in, in England uh, and uh, so naturally uh, being here in Wisconsin that case kind of fell in my lap as far as uh, being in a position to really delve into uh, uh the case uh, um kind of build upon what what uh, uh what the 10 part uh, series uh making a murder displayed and then uh, kind of take it from there. Well, you are the perfect person to do that as a journalist. I mean, we got a lot of lawyers are doing it, but um, and, and Avery and, and Dazzy have, have good defense attorneys. But let me ask you first, were you in Wisconsin when the Netflix series aired or, or even earlier when, the, when Avery was tried? Um, at the time Avery was tried, no, I was in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, that's where I was covering the the case that ultimately turned out to be my uh, my first book, uh, Bloody Lies. And again, uh, Dateline was really interested in that case uh, as well. Um, so I was not here in Wisconsin at the time of Avery and Dassey's arrest. Uh, I saw stories on the wire, and uh, it made news obviously nationally. But uh, but no, I was not in the courtroom for any of the uh, um, any of the, the courtroom uh, trials uh, for either one of those individuals. Um, but I have been back. I have been back in Nebraska the last four and a half years, so uh, I was certainly uh, here at the time of uh, the Netflix uh, series when that came out in December of uh, 2015. And uh, and I was in a good position where uh, Manitowoc's only about uh, about 50 miles, a little over an hour drive 
um, from Appleton, Wisconsin, which is where I'm based then, Beth. So, uh, so I've made dozens of uh, trips to Manitowoc uh, over the last uh, year and a half. So how did it come that you were able to, you know, take this on, this topic on? Because I, I assume you're spending quite a bit of your time on the Avery Dassey cases, right? Correct. Um, I was in a good position just from the standpoint of I was, I have been uh, um, on the statewide, um, Gannett's uh, statewide uh, investigative team for the USA Today Network. So so uh, I go after, I pursue projects and stories that, that are of statewide interest and then uh, oftentimes are of interest to the um, 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 the flagship operation, the USA Today um um, usatoday.com. So, so oftentimes, and with the Avery case in Dassey, that was of interest uh, nationally. So, uh, so I was uh, asked to uh, take that on um, around you know, shortly thereafter, probably within days or weeks. Um, no days, actually, of uh, making a murder come out uh, by uh, by our uh, previous vice president of news, uh, Joel Christopher, who actually uh, um, was uh, at the trials uh, and uh, and did a lot of the video work um, and the web uh, web. Web uh, work uh, as far as um, you know at the at the 2007 trial. So uh, Joel made a very wise decision that we should uh, stay on top of this story and uh, really um, dig into it as much as possible. And uh, and so it kind of took on a life of its own. And uh, I wrote dozens um, of stories uh, over the past uh, year year and a half, really flushing out uh, different angles uh, um, one at a time, but uh, flushing them out uh, related to. Uh, um, Mantuac County, um, mostly related to Avery, but some with Dassey, but again, just uh, looking at the whole Mantua County criminal justice system. Well, I can tell you, when I want to know what's happening in Avery and Dassey's cases, I go to your article. So for any of you out there listening, John Ferrick is the person you need to read. Now, what is the uh, URL for uh, USA Today Wisconsin? Um, the, the primary one to, for, for, for folks to go to would be uh, postcrescent.com. Again, I'm based at the Appleton Post Crescent, so postcrescent.com. Um, honestly, um, nowadays most people just uh, um, come across my, my articles uh, just by doing a simple Google search, keyword search. So John Farrick, Stephen Avery, or John Farrick making a murder, John Farrick, Kathleen Zellner, um, you know, that's, that's probably the easiest way to pull up my articles. So they run across our, our our 11 uh, um, daily newspaper websites, uh, um, including Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. So, uh, you know, anybody can find my articles, uh, you know, on different uh, different formats. But, uh, um, you know, those are those are ways to find it. Then, Beth. And and Farrick is F E R A K for anyone who's going to do a search for John's articles. Correct. So now, yeah, let's get to the filing from June seventh, two thousand seventeen, which is the mega filing by Avery's attorney Kathleen Zellner. It's over two hundred page motion, but another thousand pages of exhibits and attachments. Have you had a chance to read this? I've, I have had a chance to read the 220-page, uh, uh, um, um, the, the primary filing, and, uh, and I um, spent many a night uh, over the last week, week and a half, uh, you know, going through those, uh, getting out a red, uh, red marker and uh, highlighting uh, different uh, um, um, statements and areas to really kind of uh, um, hone my reporting, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, skills skills on. So uh, um, I have not had a chance to review the every single one of the additional thousand pages uh, that's trickling in. And, you know, I'm, I'm tackling that, uh, you know, as we go as well. But but by and large, the main 200 to 220 page uh, um, filing 
the post-conviction motion. Yeah, I, I've had a chance to to review that. Great. All right. So before we get into the substance of some of the points that Zellner is raising in this motion for a new trial, uh, are you are you working on any other stories, or is this it? Um, I've I have worked on a number of other stories. Uh, um, last year, uh, um, I, I spent. Uh, Incredible amount of time, primarily focusing on this. But uh, this year, I, I have been able to work on a few other uh, key projects. Uh, one of them actually deals with the wrongful conviction case uh, out of uh, um, just the neighboring county, actually, from Mantua County. Uh, it was a 1991 uh, um, murder of uh, two elderly uh, sisters in their farmhouse, and uh, and the case uh, went cold for five years. And uh, and a woman from Green Bay who was. Uh, um, um, Troubled to say the least, uh, uh, she was ultimately tried and convicted just based on jailhouse snitches, actually prison snitches. Um, there was no physical evidence that uh, that led to her conviction. There were no eyewitnesses that put her at the crime scene. She insisted, uh, just like Steve Avery, um, you know, that she was innocent for this crime. And in 2007, the Wisconsin Innocence Project, um, actually 2006, they were able to uh, um, to to win her release uh, um, through a DNA exoneration. And that sheriff's office has pretty much just let the case go cold over the last 10 years. So that was the primary angle of my story. They have the DNA from the killer. It turns out that it's an unknown um, male individual, but yet they've really done nothing over the last 10 years to try to find him. So again, keeping in keeping with what the, the kind of stories that interest you, um, doing these wrongful convictions or errors in forensics. Interesting. You know, I, I attended CrimeCon in Indianapolis, the first of what is expected to be an annual like crime convention, and uh, the Wisconsin Innocence Project was there, and they presented uh, two cases, two lawyers from the Wisconsin Innocence Project. One of them I actually worked with in doing mock juries with the uh, with CrimeCon, where Everybody who attended one of my three sessions could play a juror, um, but it was the case of Eric Peterson. Anyway, um, but Wisconsin was, you know, on the radar, and, you know, we were reminding people this is the same project that took on Stephen Avery's rape case and then, of course, dropped him as the poster boy when he was charged and then convicted of murder. Um, yeah. yeah, so let's get, to, um, get, let's get to this motion. One of the things Kathleen Zellner, famous for many wrongful conviction cases, freeing uh, Ryan Ferguson, for example, uh, she takes on the two defense attorneys, the two trial attorneys who kind of rose to celebrity status after the Netflix series, uh, Dean Strang and Jerry Buting. But they're, they don't seem to be that troubled by it publicly, right? Correct. Um, yeah, we, yeah, I had some communication with, uh, with, uh, uh, with, with Dean Strang uh, last week and, uh, and, uh, and 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 I know um, we were able to work in some comments from uh, from both of them in one of my first stories that uh, that uh, that I published last week in the aftermath or in the wake of uh, Kathleen Zellner's uh, post conviction motion. But uh, um, no, they they've been very diplomatic um, about uh, you know about uh, Zellner's efforts uh, you know and and including you know her efforts to uh, you know reexamine with a microscope as far as kind of the work that those guys both Jerry and Dean did. Um, um, and, and, and their, their ultimate goal, as they, as they said, is that, uh, you know, they would like to see justice done from their perspective. And that would be, um, you know, overturning Steve Avery's first conviction and, uh, you know, having the opportunity for, an, for, an, for a new trial. 
you know, I haven't had a chance to look at the 220 page motion. So I have read your articles. So the points that you raise in the articles are, are, are what I'm going to ask you about, but certainly feel free to raise anything else. Um, she names a killer. All right. She also goes after the police. So she does say there's some police corruption, although not everything that is alleged afterwards by, or what was alleged at the trial by Strang and Beauty. Right. I mean, she, Right? Didn't yes, she say correct. the planted blood? What did she say about the planted blood? There yeah. were allegations. Yeah, she obviously, as anybody that watched Making a Murder or just even had followed the original case would remember um, the uh, that uh, infamous uh, blood vial that turned up at the uh, Mantuac County uh, Courthouse in a in that uh, box of uh, of uh, um, you know old Steve Avery uh, court filings and stuff like that. Uh, um, you know that was a key that was a um, key piece of evidence as far as from uh, from the original trial. That uh, Dean Strang and Jerry Buting had, uh, had had tried to portray as uh, as being the blood that was used to plant against uh, Steve um, Stephen Avery in the uh, the round four of uh, Teresa Halbeck. Um, Zellner's taking a different strategy at this point. Uh, she maintains that that blood vial um, has no bearing at all on the case that it uh, that it you know was always there. Um, and uh, and and from her standpoint, she's um, She's going after some blood um, stains, some fresh blood apparently that uh, that had dripped into uh, Stephen Avery's sink um, around the same time frame that uh, the law enforcement had uh, showed up uh, around his property to question him about whether he remembered uh, seeing Teresa Halbeck uh, at his property on, uh, on Halloween of 2005. So it's a completely, completely different strategy that she's going after and, uh, you know, Frankly, it'll remain to be seen. That'll be one of the most uh, interesting angles to uh, to cover and for people to see unfold as we move forward in the in the court in the court system. Another point was the the key that single key to her car, which uh, the uh, Manitowoc County sheriffs who shouldn't have been participating in a search, right? They should have been not at the scene, but anyway, they shook it loose from his, um, his like desk or something from the back after having searched his room a number of times. Right. And she raises something really interesting about that key. Um, yes, I was going to say, uh, um, remind me, remind me kind of where you were going with, with, with the key. I guess I've studied okay. some of the aspects of, uh, of the, they've done some reenactments, uh, with that, uh, bookcase, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, there's also been, um, some points made as far as the amount of DNA that was found off of that key versus she did an experiment, um, or her experts, I should say, have done some experiments where they have Steve Avery holding, you know, a key. Um, for uh, for for several minutes long, and uh, and the amount of DNA from Steve Avery holding a key in his hand versus the amount of DNA that was found off of the key that uh, Colburn and Link, you know, had uh, had discovered in the bedroom. Um, there was a huge difference in the amount of, of DNA that was uh, that was transferred. And I know that she's critical of. Uh the prosecution for not doing, or the defense, I guess, but for, uh, for not doing a reenactment of that of bringing the Kate, the little cabinet, into the courtroom and and showing how it couldn't have fallen out the way um, the way they said. But that isn't where I was going. I seem to recall reading again. It would have been maybe I did read a few pages of the motion, but not many, like ten. Um, there's there's video of. Of Hobak, Teresa Hobak's ex-boyfriend, and the land and a lanyard with the key is in the video, and that was video shot before her. 
car was found. So- yeah, the um, it, it actually was uh, it was, actually was uh, Scott Blodorn. Um, Scott was the individual that lived with Teresa Hallbuck at the time that she disappeared. And Scott, um, as your listeners may recall, um, was uh, was a close friend, if not a best friend, of uh, of Scott Blodorn. So those two. Um, had grown up together in uh, Calumet County in the Hilbert area, and uh, were all kind of uh, hung around with Teresa Hallbeck. So, so, so Scott so, and her boy, her ex boyfriend, were correct. friends. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the the exhibits, uh, the photos that uh, that that Zellner has uncovered and you know has placed into uh, evidence at this point in time, um, those those show. Lodorn in the background, he was being interviewed uh, by some uh, television stations uh, out of Wisconsin, um, out of Green Bay, actually. And, uh, and uh, yeah, there's some photos that, that, uh, that she um, maintains, you know, would show the, uh, that spare key, you know, on part, you know, on part of a, part of a lanyard. Um, um, that remains to be seen as far as the, the prosecution may come back and say, no, that's nonsense, that's not really that, you know, or... Uh, um, you know, or something else may come up, but but at this point in time, yeah, she's uh, that's you know that's where she's going, because she's she basically says that the ex boyfriend, who's friends with Halbeck's roommate Scott, is the killer, and and framed Stephen Avery. So the timeline of that key and lanyard, which again may prove to be nothing. Um, is consistent with her theory, though, because the the news video or photos were taken before the RAV is found, the RAV4 is found, right, and the key and all that. Correct, right. And and as people um, hopefully remember, the key that did turn up in Avery's bedroom on the, what, the fourth day of the 24-7 search of his property, that was, you know, a spare key, a valet key, uh, I think... Uh, um, Zellner calls it a subkey, which is a new term. I've never uh, so so the term subkey is used throughout, you know, her 220-page uh, um, um, you know court filing. But uh, but nonetheless, yeah, the, the key that turned up in, in Avery's bedroom was not Teresa Halbeck's regular full set of keys, which you know would have included the keys to her Green Bay uh, you know f- uh, photography business, uh, would have included uh, keys for her uh, you know for her residence uh, um, over near Hilbert. And uh, you know keys for her Rav Four as well. So her main set of keys has never, ever turned up to this to this day. So that was going to be my next question: Was it in the burn pit and in the barrels anywhere? Her her keys have never been found. Correct. Yeah, um, along with a number of other items, but uh, but uh, but certainly uh, yeah, her keys. Uh, um, you know, and uh, and and her uh, clothing that she was wearing that day um, as well would uh, you know would fall under that category. At trial, it was um, posited, it was it put forth that probably Teresa Halbeck was shot in the head. And Zellner takes issue with that too, right? Correct. That's, and that's an important uh, distinction. Uh, that's another one as well, that, uh, that uh, she has uh, one, of her, uh, one of her 10 um, experts that she's, uh, um, you know, she's working with. And, uh, you know, um, all these individuals, um, their their affidavits, their sworn affidavits, are up on her website. Uh, and uh, I mean, these are people that are um, well known, nationally known. They've been involved in uh, in some of the most famous cases around the country, and they've testified. Uh, a lot of them have in in in, in countless uh, major criminal cases. Um, 
So um, take it for what it is. But I mean, yeah, these people are a lot of these people here are, are not slouches. Um, or somebody just hired from down the street. But um, but yeah, one of the key, or one of the crucial experts that she used about uh, for this uh, um, for this testing, um, uh, and I mentioned him in one of my. Um, pieces, I believe, but uh, but he uh, he did some testing on that bullet, and bottom line is that he maintains that there was no bone fram bone fragments, you know, or or, or any any evidence that would uh, um, um, corroborate that that bullet went through Teresa Halbach's uh, skull, um, as should have been the case, um, and I believe that that that, uh, that his testing um, uncovered that there was some type of wood or paint. You know that was uh, that was on these bullet uh, fragments, uh, um, and uh, and uh, the belief is that, that if that is absolutely the case, you know then that bullet or those bullets would have been uh, um, just some other bullets that were fired around that property because uh, it was just common practice for the Averys and some of their um, friends that they hung out with just to be uh, shooting at rabbits or other fixed objects, you know, throughout the property and stuff like that. So it was not that uncommon. To have uh, you know bullets or, or shells, shotgun shells, you know, you know, scattered throughout the property. You're listening to the Carousel Crime Podcast. It's time for a quick break. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to Carousel Crime. I'm your host Beth Karras, and I'm speaking with John Ferrick, author and journalist who has been covering the Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey cases. And we're talking about the latest filing by Stephen Avery's attorney, 220-page motion with a thousand pages of attachments and exhibits. She also attacked uh, Ken Kratz, the prosecutor. A lot of people attacked him uh, just because of his conduct afterwards. Um, which which got him sanctioned, uh, but also Tom Fassbender of uh, the Wisconsin Department of Justice Division of Criminal Investigations, Fassbender, and um, Mark Weigert of Calumet County. So she's so she's taking issue with the defense attorneys, with the prosecutor, with the police from various departments, not just Manitowoc County, but uh, you know uh, the adjoining county as well as statewide. And she's pointing to somebody else as the killer. But regarding the police, do you recall what what she has to say about uh, Weigert and Fassbender? Yeah, the um, the uh, and and that's an interesting development because that was always a uh, um, looking looking at the case from afar and after the fact, like I did. Uh, it's uh, it's really odd and strange if you think about it that those two individuals showed up at the hospital in. Um, in the Matwak area, after Steve Avery was arrested, and uh, and a nurse was uh, was summoned to do, um, uh, she was given specific assignments as far as to take DNA samples uh, from Avery. But then apparently she goes um, goes ahead and takes additional um, groin swabs from Steve Avery, and uh, and the the version of events that that they had put documented in the reports were that somehow they stopped her after the fact. I should say, and remind you people, yeah, after the fact, uh, that she didn't need to do that or wasn't supposed to do that. And uh, their version of events is that she went ahead and just discarded those into the trash. Um, Zellner's motion um, comes up with a completely different uh, scenario and, uh, and, and alleges that, uh, that both of those individuals were involved in, in, in keeping you know, preserving those those uh, groin swabs uh, and, and kept them strategically for use to uh, to plant um, Steve Avery's DNA on other uh, items um, of evidence at a later point in time. 
uh, or I should say, actually substitute um, substitute those uh, groin swabs uh, um, at a later point in time. And I believe that deals with the uh, the uh, the infamous uh, hood latch DNA that uh, that comes out uh, um, six months after Steve Avery was actually arrested for the murder. Um, it was six months after the fact that uh, that Calumet County went back to the RAV4, which was now in their possession, rather than down in Madison at the state crime lab. But once it was back in their possession and uh, and came up with a um, additional DNA hit for Stephen Avery. Now, and, and the blood, we I know we already touched on, on blood that was in the RAV. I mean, it's it's by the ignition, it's in the front, but also, is it his or her blood in the back of the SUV? Uh, her, her blood... Uh, was uh, was found in the back in that uh, that cargo area, kind of. Um, um, it was just a small amount of blood spatter and stains, and uh, and and one of her experts uh, um, um, that she uh, has utilized for this. Uh, he's really well nationally known. In fact, when I saw his name, uh, Stuart James, uh, I recognized that. I'm like, that's the guy I interviewed for my book. Uh, uh, body of proof about the Jessica Grady murder. Um, he was he testified uh, um, at that trial in in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I think that was in 2000. Yeah, that would have been in 2007. But uh, but he's a nationally renowned uh, blood spa- uh, blood spatter blood stain expert, and apparently Zellner retained him, and uh, and ha- and he participated or led you know a number of experiments and uh, and uh, and uh, reenactments, and came up with the conclusion that uh, the Teresa Halbach was not uh, was not shot, but that she, uh, and, and I should say not shot in the garage of Steve Avery, but rather that uh, Teresa Halbuck was actually killed um, by uh, by some type of blunt force trauma, either with a with a hammer or a mallet, um, and it, and and that the crime occurred actually at the back the back of her uh, vehicle, um, and uh, and that would have caused the the blood stains or blood spatter that uh, that turned up on on the vehicle. So she has a, a totally different scenario for how the murder happened, and she says it's Ryan. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. He Hilagas or Hilagas? Oh, uh, it's uh, Ryan Hilagas is is the is the correct uh, pronunciation. So Ryan R Y A N and then Hilagas H I L L E G A S. So what what was the story there? I mean, she he was an ex boyfriend, right? Jealous, controlling. What was the deal? Yeah, that's the uh, that's the version of events that that she and and her experts uh, um, have outlined in, in the court documents, and uh, and she she's um, one of her key experts uh, on that uh, is a former FBI agent, uh, Greg McCrary, who again is a is a major um, nationally recognized uh, law enforcement official who's testified in in you know, numerous cases uh, you know throughout the country over the years. But uh, but McCrary was her, one of her primary um, investigators going back over this uh, this case. And uh, and and he determined that 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 Hilgis clearly was overlooked as a as a prime suspect in this case. That uh, that there were a number of uh, of things and clues that uh, pointed to Hilgis as being the uh, as being the you know the the alternative suspect uh, or the uh, you know the the more likely uh, killer of Teresa Halbach. Do you recall any of those clues? Wasn't wasn't he there at the search? Yeah. The. Um, that was one of the interesting angles. One of the first, one of the, the one of the primary points uh, was that he did not uh, 
um, when he first spoke with law enforcement, he did he didn't make it clear to them, or didn't seem to want to volunteer the fact that uh, that he had uh, dated uh, Teresa Halbach on and off for about five years. Uh, he tried to portray himself, or did portray himself as just a concerned friend, and um, and uh, and uh, and then from that point forward, he took it upon himself to uh, to kind of lead the um, the. Uh, the uh, the searches uh, and organized the searches. So uh, so he was kind of the point person and uh, and and got a lot of uh, television news media coverage actually, you know, for uh, for organizing these searches and uh, and it was actually his organization of those searches that that also come under question um, because uh, on the morning of Saturday, November fifth, that's when Pam Sturm. Yeah, uh, who people from Making a Murder will remember the the second cousin of Teresa Halbach and uh, middle-aged woman that uh, that had been a former private investigator, but she showed up very late that morning at the uh, at the Hillegas, or I should say at at uh, Halbach's property, and uh, and she spoke with uh, Hillegas and uh, and Blodorn, and uh, and uh, she goes straight to uh, Avery Salvage Yard and uh, walks in there, introduces herself, and then um, you know fairly quickly uh, walks straight to the to the vehicle, uh, which is covered in tree branches uh, and other things, which, from my perspective, would make it uh, stand out like a sore thumb. I just didn't remember that it was civilians who found the car. I guess I'm forgetting some of my facts. Correct. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, the vehicle was found on, um, which would have been about the fifth or sixth day since Teresa Hulbeck had vanished, but it was actually uh, November 3rd is when, when law enforcement was first notified. So essentially, she disappears on Monday afternoon um, or Monday evening, uh, depending on uh, how things shake out um, you know, with Selner's motion. But nonetheless, she di- she disappears on Halloween, and it's not until Thursday evening, around five or six o'clock, when law enforcement is first notified that Teresa Halbach's missing and hasn't been seen for the last four days. Um, and then it's about um, a day and a half later on Saturday morning, um, uh, mid middle of the morning, when when Pam Sturm uh, the civilian searcher uh, goes straight to um, goes straight to the Avery Salvage Yard property and uh, finds the vehicle uh, um, not long after she showed up there, um, and she'd been meeting with Ryan Hilgus. So, didn't also um, Zellner deal with Teresa Halbeck's cell phone and 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 make an allegation about Hilgus, the ex-boyfriend, having you know knowing her password or being able to delete messages or something? Yeah, that's that's outlined in there too as well, Beth. Uh, there's, uh, um, um, and, and people may remember this from the trial. That was kind of one of those odd uh, um, sequences of events. I think uh, one of it was either Dean Strang or Jerry Buting. Uh, I forget which one, but they they questioned him uh, um, during cross examin- exam- examination, and and he he maintained that he just uh, more or less guessed her password. Um, you know, on, uh, on, on November 3rd and, uh, and, uh, and by guessing it properly was able then to, uh, you know, get into her phone records and print out, um, her most recent call logs, which then was used to, um, convey the, uh, um, um, convey the perception that, uh, that Teresa Hallbeck was the last, uh, um, was last in Mantua County, um, you know, as part of her auto trader uh, responsibilities. Now, and I worded it that way because you know Zellner's position is that that Teresa Hulbeck did do those things that she did go to Mantua County for two assignments, 
on the afternoon of Halloween 2005. And previously, uh, her first assignment was uh, was uh, was it was um, in New Holstein, you know, where she went and uh, did some uh, auto trader photography as well. But uh, but Zellner's position is that she att- you know, that she goes to the Schmidt's uh, Schmidt's residence and uh, and takes photos of his vehicle. That she goes to Avery's, takes photos of that vehicle, and that she also goes to the Zipper residence and uh, and takes photographs of a vehicle there. And her position is that, that Teresa did did in fact make it back to Calumet County, back to her um, residence, um, and 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 may have been uh, killed there um, by Ryan, Brian Hilgis uh, in the driveway. And why would he kill her? The um, I mean, obviously that remains to be seen as far as you know what 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 how she'll portray that uh, once we get into the court system. But uh, but the belief uh, um, how it's kind of been portrayed so far is essentially a jealous uh, you know jealous ex lover, somebody that has not been able to uh, um, let go of uh, you know of a former romantic fling uh, person that uh, he had loved very much at one point in time, who who spurred um, was no longer interested in him, and there's some emails. That uh, that Zellner um, has attached to her motions, Beth. That uh, that just in the last couple of weeks before Teresa Hallback died, that she was emailing one of her friends and uh, and made a reference to the fact that she had previously dated Ryan Hilgis in the past. And uh, and uh, you read this email, and yeah, it's pretty clear that she you know regretted being involved with him romantically. Um, so so that kind of uh, that that seems to be um, a key theme is that Ryan Hilgis. Even though Teresa Holbeck had broken off um, um, ro- um, a romantic relationship with him in the past, he was still constantly coming around uh, to uh, to her residence, which she sh- which she shared, you know, with Scott Blodorn, you know, Ryan's best friend, um, and he was still kind of a constant presence in her life. Um, and uh, like I said, so so that's that's the belief is that she may have uh, have. Um, You've been dating or romantically interested in, in, in other individuals, and that, that put Ryan Hilgis over the edge. Has he reacted at all to the allegation that he's the killer? I've tried to call him and uh, left a message, and actually, just for background, uh, I had actually called him last year, um, last summer. It was probably around this time last year. I had reached out to him, uh, um, you know, since it had been about five or six months after making a murder had come out, and uh, and there were a lot of questions after making a murder came out, you know, about Ryan Hilgis, uh, and uh, and I wanted to give him an opportunity for an interview and kind of hear him out and uh, hear his reaction to making a murder and 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 you know, give him a chance to refute any of the uh, allegations or or events that uh, you know that uh, that came up uh, during that trial. And I actually caught, got him on the phone. Um, I, I was surprised, uh, uh, but he picked up and uh, he was polite. Um, but but uh, but but politely pointed out to me that he was not doing uh, any interviews at this point in time, um, you know, and that's kind of the way things went. Um, so fast forward to uh, you know last week and actually to this week, um, yeah, I, I I I called him on Monday, and uh, and my message went straight to voicemail, and I explained to him I was working on a story about him. You know, and to you know, reach out to me for for an interview. You know, and uh, I've never heard back from him yet, Beth. So this is a huge motion, and as we speak, it is you know a week or so since it was filed. Uh, but there has been some reaction from law enforcement, from the prosecution, right? I mean, 
I, I, I can't imagine that they've digested it in, in, in detail, but they've made some blanket statements, right? Sort of disparaging. Yeah, the, um, yeah I was going to say, now I'm trying to remember who said what, but uh, but I, I know the Wisconsin Department of Justice, which again is uh, affiliated with uh, you know Wisconsin Attorney General Brad uh, Schimmel, um, who was not in office, I should point out too, at the time, uh, you know, that this all went on. But nonetheless, uh, um, the, the Attorney General's office, the DOJ, had, uh, issued a statement, uh, basically, uh, you know, saying that, uh, that, you know, Zellner's motion was ridiculous and, you know, and, and so was her assertion, you know, of an alternative suspect. And, uh, and, uh, um, so they put out that statement, uh, before they really had a chance to digest or even really read, um, you know, the guts and the, you know, and, uh, you know what's uh, what's all included in uh, in Zellner's motion, um, and then also I interviewed uh, um, Michael Griesbach, you know the uh, assistant assistant district attorney from Antioch County, uh, um, and I interviewed him in his capacity, you know, not in that role, but uh, but just as a true crime author, he's written obviously two books uh, um, about Stephen Avery, and uh, so I was able to work in some comments from. Um, Mr. Griesbach into my story that ran uh, a couple days ago across USA Today uh, network. But uh, Mr. Griesbach had pointed out just flatly that uh, that even though Zellner has uh, um, you know, made a great career for herself uh, as far as uh, you know righting the wrongs of the um, wrongfully convicted, just in this particular case, um, yeah, he just you know, um, flatly disagreed with her. Uh, Direction of, of 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 accusing Ryan Hillegas uh, as the killer, and he pointed out that there's just overwhelming evidence that points to Stephen Avery as the real killer. So, what's the next step? The state has to respond to this motion. Correct. Yeah, and the, I couldn't tell you right now as far as kind of you know when you know when things will heat up again as far as actually in the courtroom. But nonetheless, the state of Wisconsin now has a number of you know they have they have time to. Uh, um, go back actually and read this, and uh, you know, and then offer any rebuttal or file motions, uh, you know, from, you know, or from their standpoint. And eventually, what will happen then is that the that the special judge in this case, uh, who's from Sheboygan, not Mantua County, but uh, but the judge from uh, Sheboygan will uh, ultimately schedule, uh, you know, um, proceedings in the courtroom, and uh, and in all likelihood, at some point in time, we'll have you know a full blown evidentiary hearing of some sort, which would probably be, you know, um, several days. And frankly, it could even be, you know, um, more than a week. Uh, I think in the Ryan Ferguson case, uh, his trial was, his original trial was only a week long. Um, whereas in this case, as people remember, the actual trial was, uh, I believe it was five weeks uh, long, um, um, yeah, if, if not a couple days longer than five weeks, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, it'll, nothing is going to happen overnight. Nothing will happen, uh, you know, um, probably next week even, but, uh, but probably, um, you know, in the, in the fall, I would, I would pray in the fall, we'll, we'll start to see some movement possibly, you know, in the uh, actual courtroom. So before we wrap it up, um, let me ask you, what's going on with Brendan Dassey's case? It's in the courts right now, right? Correct. Yeah. For just to remind folks, uh, kind of give them a refresher on that. The last major development in that case was actually in February, and that was when there were oral arguments uh, um, involving the state of Wisconsin and also uh, Steve Drizzen and Lauren Iwriter, um and their their team um, um, with Northwestern University. But uh, but there was oral arguments uh, at the Court of Appeals in uh, in Chicago in front of a three judge panel. 
Um, and, the, and at this point in time, um, the state of Wisconsin actually has the uh, um, 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 the um, more challenging position. Uh, they're trying to reinstate Brandon Dassey's conviction because uh, last August, a uh, federal judge in Milwaukee, uh, William Duffin, had overturned Dassey's conviction. And uh, so the state of Wisconsin is trying to reinstate that conviction, and it's ultimately up to the um, the three-judge panel to decide whether or not to uh, um, uh, reinstitute Dassey's conviction or uphold Judge Duffin's uh, earlier ruling um, to, uh, you know, allow Brendan Dassey to go free and overturn his conviction. And, uh, and, and frankly, something could happen in the Brendan Dassey case any day now. Um, I was told many, many months ago, just kind of, just, uh, based on other p- lawyers, uh, that had, uh, experience dealing with the Court of Appeals out of Chicago, um, they predicted that, uh, they wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if the ruling actually came out during the month of, uh, June. Um, obviously we only have a few more days left in June, so it, uh, it could very well, you know, still, still, still go many weeks, uh, you know, from here on out before we actually get a ruling. But, uh, but nonetheless, I'm kind of waiting and, you know, so are others, you know, just keep an eye on the court calendar to see, you know, if anything breaks anytime soon on, uh, on getting a ruling on Brenda Dassey's case. Well, I know that I am going to keep following your stories and staying in touch with you, John Farrick, because you are the man who knows this case the best, certainly of all the journalists that I, uh, I know who are following it. So I want to thank you for joining me today. It has been enlightening. Thank you very much, Beth, and thanks again for the opportunity. And uh, and like I said, uh, yeah, just uh, uh, for, for listeners, uh, stay on top of uh, you know, stay on top of uh, um, either JohnFerrick.com or uh, or USA Today Network uh, of Wisconsin. But again, there's uh, there's still going to be plenty of uh, developments uh, on both the Steve Avery case and the Brendan Dassey case uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, you can you can be sure of that. Great. And I want to thank all of you for listening to this latest episode of Carousel Crime. I welcome your feedback, your questions and ideas. You can post them in the forum on Carousel Crime if you're a member or on social media. My Twitter handle is at Beth Karras and my Facebook page is my name, Beth Karras. Until the next time, be well. 